Good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, you know, there are just some questions in life that we seem to revisit, don't we? There are especially some questions like that. There's the timeless chicken or the egg thing, and uh, that's, that's one we've, we've been used to. But there have been some questions, I think, in 2020 that seem to keep coming up. Questions like, what day is it today? I found myself wondering that more than a few times. Uh, Along with that, the reason I want to know what day it is today is because this other question keeps coming up. When was the last time I showered? And I think even this morning, I think I'm doing okay. So anyhow, but there are, there are some other questions like, like when does the next season of blank begin? Because if you're anything like me, the increased time indoors, we tend to, you know, it's Netflix or we watch, a, I watched a whole season of a show. I immediately jumped on Google and I Googled what, when does season two of this show start? And I was totally dismayed to learn that they had not even started filming before everything shut down. And it reminds me of if you were around when Lord of the Rings was big. Remember, in the theater, you were watching it, and then they cut it at the credits, and you realize, I have a year before I get to see the next one. It's just this terrible feeling. Well, there's another question that I believe we revisit over and over and over, and not just 2020. I mean, throughout our lives, there's this question that I've noticed comes up in me and in people I talk to, and the question is, who am I? Who am I? Who am I is the identity question that we seem to revisit over and over and over. And I sit here and I just think, wouldn't it be nice to stop having to revisit that question? This question that just continues to come up. And the reason that we have to keep asking ourselves is because we very naturally tie our answer to that question, who am I, to some different things in our lives. In fact, there are four areas that I could think of that we seem to tie that identity question to. The first one is what we do, right? Isn't that a big one? Especially men, we tie, we tie what we do to who we are. Oftentimes when I'm talking to somebody else, if there's an awkward silence, what's the first question that comes up? So what do you do? And we, we begin to measure one another on that. So there's what we do. There's also what we have. It's easy, it's easy to look around left and right and go, well, they have, but I don't. Or I, don't, I have, but they don't. There's also what people think, especially in they, I mean, this was a thing before social media, but it's even bigger now. What people think of me, and then especially 2020, where we've been. Where, where have we, most of us, been most of the time? In our homes, staring at our four walls, and, and when you stay there long enough, it can tend to distort your view, can't it? And because we tie who am I to each of those four areas, what happens is we, we come up with some distorted answers. In fact, doing that is kind of like what this one dad did. I'm going to show you some pictures here. He took his child's drawings, and you know what he did? He photoshopped them into what they would actually look like if it actually looked like what his child drew. Look at this. You had a fish, there was a car, a cruise ship, remember that cruise you went on looking like that? And your dog. There's your dog right there. There's, but that's what we do when we use what I do, what I have, what people think, where I've been to answer the identity question. We create this distorted view of ourselves. It's like trying to draw a portrait of yourself without a mirror and without a picture of yourself. Now here, here's where we're going to spend a few weeks 
Who am I? See, before, before you ever existed, before you ever walked on this planet, before the stork dropped you off at your parents' doorstep when you were an infant, before your bank, your bank account or your credit rating put a number next to your name, before your job title or lack of one said anything about you, before there were likes and follows and mentions on social media, and before the people next to you and for you and against you had any opinion of you, the question, who am I, was answered before you and I began. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through four things, four things that actually took place before you and I ever walked this earth that have everything to do, in fact, they're the drivers of our identity. And so we're going to look at the first one this morning. In fact, it comes out of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, here's, here's that first thing that happened. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now I read that, and you know, I used to read that and I didn't think anything of it. And then one day I was reading that, and I went, okay, here's God in the beginning, but he's making this statement. He says, let us. And I sat there and I thought, who's us? Let us make mankind, let us make human beings in our image. Who's us and who's our? And it's not really until you get to the New Testament that you begin to look back at the beginning and you understand that there at the beginning, before anything else, was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's as if they met and they said, you know what? Let's make something. Let's make something. And of course, you know, they made the earth and the skies, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything we see around us, night, day. And you know what they did? They called all of it good. But then they made humanity. And you know what the description was? Very good. Very good. See, before you began, before you ever set foot on this earth, there was an identity. There was a creation you were given by Father, Son, Holy Spirit that said, it's in my image and it is very good. And so this morning, I just want to camp out there for a minute. But what I want to do is I want to look through the lens of somebody that you may not think of when you read this in Genesis. I want to look through the lens of a guy who had, honestly, probably more success than you and I will ever have. He also had some very miserable failures, probably more than you and I will ever have. He had incredible, incredible victories. He suffered some defeats. He had close friends, and there were also betrayals. And that man is King David. And I want to look at, King, I want to look at Genesis 1 through the lens of King David because he wrote a psalm that as you read what he wrote in this psalm, it's as if he's sitting with us reading Genesis 1. And what he does is he begins to move our eyes off of ourselves, off of ourselves, which we tend to do so much. And he says, I want to move your eyes onto your maker. And here's why. There's an idea that I want you to hold on to today and the next few weeks. And it's this. The image is determined by the artist, not the instrument. The image, as in your image, your identity is determined by your maker not by you. 
or what anybody else has to say. And if we could just anchor that, then having to revisit who am I begins to fade away. And it doesn't go away. That identity doesn't go away, but we, are, we walk in that. And so I want to highlight three things that as you look at Psalm 8, King David says, you want to know? You want to know your image? You want to know some elements of your image? I mean, we could list them all day, but here are a few you need to know. Psalm, chapter, or Psalm 8, verse 1. Here's what he says. First, he highlights the power of God. He says, you have set your glory in the heavens. Now, none of us would disagree with that. We can appreciate a sunrise, a sunset, a cloud formation, the colors in the sky. You have set your glory in the heavens. But this next part, this is, this is interesting. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. See, I can get on board with the skies because those are just amazing. But then you, you think about an infant, and, and here's why I'm bringing this up, because we have this thing in us that we think glory is tied to what we're able to do. Remember what we talked about a little bit ago? What I do, what I have, what people think, where I'm at. And so it's interesting that David uses the term infants here, because infants can't really do much, can they? They sit there, and they're cute, and we don't judge them on that, but something happens as we get older. Something happens, we begin to look in the mirror and we begin to judge ourselves and we begin to judge others based on what they can do or not do. And David says, no, no, no. The image you've been given, there is power before you began. In other words, he can take, he can take just the sound coming out of an infant and he can build a stronghold against his enemies. There's a pastor in New York, his name's Tim Keller. And Tim Keller talks about the day everything clicked for him when he was younger. He had a teacher who was, who was sharing with him one day. He said, you know, with, with all this emphasis on all of our abilities and what we're able to do or not do, there, there's this thing we have to remember. If you were to take the distance from here to the sun, 92 million miles, and you were to condense that down into the, into the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. The diameter of the universe would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And that teacher said to Tim Keller, and Jesus, scripture tells us, holds all of that in his hands. Father, Son, Holy Spirit created all of that. And then the teacher posed a question. Is that somebody that you just invite into your life to be your assistant. Because isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? We often say, all right, Jesus, I, I'm going to handle this on my own, and I'm going to handle this on my own. And yet, when you look at all that he does, when you look at his power, you recognize he is not just assistant. He is Lord. He is full of power. We're created in that image. King David keeps going. In fact, this is at the beginning and the end of the psalm. He uses another word that doesn't really hit our radar often. It's this word majesty. Look at what he says. You have set your glory in the heavens. I'm sorry, verse one. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And then at the end of the psalm, he repeats himself to emphasize Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, 
I don't know about you, but majesty doesn't really cross my mind on a daily basis. I mean, I've stood on top of 14ers here in Colorado and looked across at the other 14ers, and majesty could come to mind in those moments. You know, I've gone up the sand dunes in southern Colorado, and when you get to the top and you look over, you see all these other dunes that, that you can't see when you first start going up them. And majesty could come to mind at that point. You know, you could stand on a beach and listen and watch the waves roll in, and majestic could come to mind. Or you could even watch, you know, those, like the planet Earth nature shows. Majesty comes to mind in those moments. But let me tell you when majesty doesn't come to mind. When I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I don't think majestic all the time. I think this is off and this is off and this is off and this is off. Or I'll get home at the end of the day and there's something in my teeth and I think, why didn't they tell me? Why didn't they tell me? That's not very majestic. See, we'll point at all of God's creation that he called good and we'll say majestic. But we'll look in the mirror at the creation he called very good and that word's nowhere to be found, is it? Doesn't exactly cross our minds. There's a... And there's, there's this thing about our human nature that we do. There's a conference that took place in Chicago uh, back in the early 2000s. And it was called, just real creative name here, the Interesting Conference. Okay, and the Interesting Conference was held every single year in Chicago. And you could imagine people who would come to this conference would lecture on, teach on, come to learn about things they considered interesting. Now, here's the interesting part. The interesting conference lasted three years. And then the interesting conference went away because of a lack of interest. Now, a man named James Ward, in response to this, had an idea. He said, you know what? I'm going to do, true story, in the same space the interesting conference had been held, I'm going to hold the boring conference. And he, in 2010, began the Boring Conference. Let me list off to you what, they discussed at the boring, what has been discussed at the Boring Conference through the years. Sneezing. Sneezing, like main topic of three days. Sneezing. Toast was another year. Vending machine sounds. Barcodes. Yellow lines. Inkjet printers and cartridges from 1999 specifically. And ice cream van chimes. Do you know what the Boring Conference has done every single year? It's still going, and it is still growing. Obviously, they couldn't hold it this year. But something really interesting about all that. What we look at and say is boring, you know what? God takes, God takes no thought of the boredom of any of it. He looks at it, including the stuff about ourselves that we would consider boring, and he takes a level of interest that goes far beyond any of ours. He says, that's my majesty. That's majestic. And then King David continues. And really, this here is really the meat of Psalm 8. But David, having pointed out God's power and then the majesty of God, he points out the presence of God. Listen to this. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, God, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is mankind? What are human beings? Who am I? Who are we? That you are mindful of them. 
Who are human beings that you care for them? This is David recognizing that God says, not only do I take thought of you, I take care of you. He continues in verse five. You have made them a little lower than the angels. Some translations say a little lower than God. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. You notice how none of that was tied to what we could do, to what we have, to what people think, or to where we've been. God says, before you began, before you began, I determined your image, and it is my image, and it is very good. There was about a, gosh, decade and a half ago, we were working with the youth group here. We went to a camp in southern Colorado, and I, I remember we came to the day that I was assigned to teach. Now, Here's what happens to teachers when you find out you are assigned to teach, especially when you first start teaching. You get told you have 30 minutes and your first thought is not what am I gonna teach them, it's how am I gonna fill the time? And so what I discovered is if you can put it on them, then it's a lot lighter burden to carry. And so what I did is I decided, okay, we're out in nature. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna send them out. I'm gonna talk for like two minutes at the beginning and then I'm gonna send them out to find an object that reminds them of God. And then uh, I'll just call them back in like two minutes to go. It's brilliant. And so this is what I did. I told them, I'm gonna have you go out, find an object in nature that reminds you of God. And I want you to tell me why. Now we had this old paper towel roll, you know, the cardboard center. And uh, we all had loved Lord of the Rings. So we called it the Horn of Gondor. And so what I did is I blew the Horn of Gondor, which sounded nothing like the movie, but they went. And all these kids, these teenagers just run and they go out into nature and they sit for, I, we got about 10 minutes into it and another leader said, Nathan, are you gonna blow the horn and have them come back in? I was like, no, I'm never gonna do that. In fact, we might just let them stay out there. Maybe we'll go get lunch. So we blow the horn about 20 minutes later and they come back in and I looked at this girl and I said, okay, what do you, what do you have? And she had picked a flower. What does that tell you about God? She said, he's beautiful. I said, great looked at this boy who had brought in, boys can't just bring back like a little rock. They have to bring back in like a boulder and show their strength and all that. So he brings in this boulder, drops it on the floor. I said, oh, what'd you bring? He said, a rock. I said, well, what does that tell you about God? He said, he's, he's strong, he's foundation. I went, okay, good. Looked at another boy. He had something in his hand that was like smearing. I said, what'd you, what'd you find? He said, oh, it's, it's berries. And I went, did you by chance eat these berries? Because I was looking for signs of sweating or dizziness or anything like that. I said, what does that tell you about God? He said, he's good. He's good. Finally, I get to this set of twins and they're like the biggest troublemakers the youth group has, has seen in years. And I'm just sitting here going, they were fighting all the way here. You know, when I sent them out, I sent one this way and one this way. So now they're back sitting right next to each other. And I pointed at one. I said, what'd you bring back? You know what he did? He lifted up his brother's hand. I said, what does that tell you about God? He's like, I don't know. I just couldn't think of anything else. And I went, there it is. 
None of these kids found anything outside of themselves that could fully capture who God was. And yet here's this kid who has just fought and caused trouble all the way through. And I just thought, on some level, he gets this. On some level. It's my brother. It's my fellow human being. It's the image in the mirror. That's, that is what tells you about God. Because the image is determined by the maker, by the artist, not the instrument. And King David would say it's the power of God before he ever began. It's his majesty in the midst of this life. It's his presence all the way through the end. What if that crossed your mind and it crossed my mind the next time we look in the mirror? The next time we say, who am I? As we look around and we don't see what we can do or what we have or what people think or we're distorted by where we've been, what if that crossed our mind? That my image and your image was already determined by the one who made us. That should absolutely liberate us, shouldn't it? It should absolutely liberate us to walk through everything and everywhere we walk through every single day. I say should. It should. But as we know, before you began, there was creation. And before you began, we'll talk about it next week, there was distortion of that creation. And that distortion, as we'll talk about next week, has caused us to buy into some lies about ourselves and around those, about those around us. And we'll get into that. But in the meantime, here's what I'd love for you to do this week. Very literally, I would love for you to find a time this week. You know what I want you to do? I want you to go out. Take a hike. Get out in creation because for all the sitting within our own walls we've done over the previous months, you know what we've done? We've lost sight. We've lost sight of our image, some far more than others, and you can see it on social media. But I'd invite you to get out into creation because there is nothing that's going to tell you about who you are more than being out in the, in the creation of our creator. That's the first thing I want you to do. The second thing I want you to do is go look at his word, even if it's just Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Because too often and too much right now, we're hearing everybody else's words about us, about one another, and we forget that when God stopped after he had created everything, you know what he did? He took a day. He said, I'm just going to look. And that's good, and that's good, and that's good. And then he pointed at humanity. And he said, and that is very good. Nothing will reinforce that for you like getting out in his creation and into his word. And so with that being said, I'm gonna close us in prayer. I'd ask you once we close in prayer, you can just exit out this door over here. Thank you for being here. Heavenly Father, thank you. I mean, if the only prayer we ever prayed was thank you, we could pray that forever, couldn't we? Thank you that you're a God who you could have chosen anything. You could have chosen any image to make us in the, in, the, in the image of, and you chose yourself. For all the mountains that are much bigger, for all the oceans that are much deeper than any of us, you look at us. And it would be easy for us to ask the question King David asked. 
who are we? I mean, we're far, far smaller. We, can, we do a lot less, it seems, than the weather, than any of your creation. And yet you look at us and you say, that's very good because you made us in your image. So reinforce that to us this week. As we're out in creation, as we look at your word, remind us that you determined our image long before we or anybody next to us tried to determine it for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week. Yes.